how can you be part of a religious community that straight up sometimes it feels like the church is trying to hold the church on. seems to be stuck in their ways when the rest of the why are they so obsessed with keep trying to get answers i would never be a part of a church that is not welcoming the church is the most vocal political voice against immigration churches still the one they claim that worship was the actual the church seems to be stuck in their ways when the rest of the like, culture how is that actually it seems like so much of the church is more concerned with being a good American anti-critical than they are being homophobic, too narrow, judgmental, disconnected from what is truly happening in the real world. <sighs> the church needs therapy. Welcome to the newest episode of The Church Needs Therapy, and today... Our special guest is Aureli Davila Pratt. And you know, you can tell me off air so you don't have to shame me in front of people about like my mispronunciation. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> and uh, Aurelia is an Imago Day enthusiast, a sacred space maker and a paradigm shifter with a passion for liberation. She's the lead pastor of Peace of Christ Church, a radically loving community in Round Rock, Texas. You get to tell me more about Texas a different time because that's like a foreign country to me. I still don't understand it being from where I'm at. I don't know what's <laughs> going on. Me uh, neither. She, she, <laughs> she was, you're like, that's that's another hour long. Yeah. <laughs> she was named by Sojourners as one of the top 10 Christian, one of the 10 Christian women shaping the church in 2022. She's also the co-host of the Nuance Tea Podcast, which is a podcast about redefining what it means to be clergy women of color as they navigate discussions around healing, identity, and belonging. And her new book, which we're here to talk about today, A Brown Girl's Epiphany, Reclaim Your Intuition and Step Into Your Power, came out September 13th and is available now. And I will remind you of that as this conversation's ending. And I'm going to stop there. Aurelia, thank you so much for being with us and the listeners today. And for me having you on, I appreciate this so much. I'm grateful for the invitation. I'm really excited. Thank you. You know, one of the, besides the specific content of a lot of the people I have on, we're talking about spirituality and justice and creativity and pastoring and all of those things that are on this path that we're on. But there's also, when it comes to writing, just the reality of the creative part of it, which is universal. That's not just for clergy people. That's just the creative part that has something within us that wants to come out. And I'm really interested in that for people. So what is the the engine, you know, the seed of this book within you is this, this sat in me for six years and I sensed it growing or there was this moment, like how did the, just the initial seed of this start to be planted and grow within you for the book? Ooh, <laughs> um, this book is all about coming into my power and kind of waking up to the Imago day within me. And for everyone, I think <clears throat> that is a different experience depending on, you know, who you are and the, you know, various intersections of your identity. For me, that included like um, the work of learning to trust myself. So I almost feel like the book came about in a way that was kind of dramatic in a, in a sense, because otherwise I was never going to trust myself to go on that journey. Mm -hmm. So really what happened was I was on a walk with my daughter. Mm -hmm. She was four, she's about to turn seven, but it, it was in 2020. And I was just on a walk. She was riding her bike and I don't know why this happened, but I just 
the words came out of me to her. I'm a writer and I'm going to write a book. Mm. (laughs) I don't know where they came from. I mean, I guess spirit. I don't, Mm. I don't know. Mm. Um, So she was like, okay. (laughs) You know, she's four. Um, I wrote a book at school today too. (laughs) Yeah. she's It's not the same. It's not the same. It's so funny. Yeah. So um, yeah. I I was like, whoa, what was that? And then like a week later, I was I, so I decided to just start writing and, and I gave myself an assignment to see what was going on with that. And so I decided to write an op-ed and just send it to the newspapers and see who would publish it. It was around an election or I don't know what it was around. Anyway, this is a very boring story <laughs> right now, I feel like. But anyway, I was writing the op-ed and um, and I was feeling really excited about the idea of just writing without it having to be a sermon because that's all mm-hmm. I ever did was just write sermons. And my husband came outside to tell me something and I looked at him and I said I'm manifesting good things for myself and I'm about I'm gonna write a book (laughs) again I don't know where that came from I've never used that language before then Mm. um and 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 so I was like why am I saying these things and then that night this writer acquaintance that I knew a long time ago who's a a writer that's what he does he's an author um he randomly emailed me and I think he found my church email on the website because I don't think Mm -hmm. he even had my email and he was like hey um I'm proud of the work you're doing let me know if you need any help with anything wow and so I know it was crazy so I wrote him back and I was like this is gonna sound nuts, but I just, I think I have an idea. I don't know if it's an article or a journal entry or a book, but you're a writer. Could you hear me out and give me your advice? And so we set up a meeting and he listened to everything I said and gave me some insight into the publishing world. And Mm. yeah, he just encouraged me to write every day. He set an arbitrary deadline. He was like, let's talk again in a month and just write every day, like, and see what happens. Mm. And yeah, that really helped me because I just wow. started writing when past the barriers, you know, the barriers that come mm. up where you're mm. like, this is stupid. This sucks. Mm. Like, this doesn't make sense. Why are you doing this? Turn back. <laughs> but I was like, no, I have the deadline. I have to keep writing. So I just was writing, 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 whatever came up. And mm. what came up were all these personal stories from childhood. Mm. Um, and yeah, that just turned into an wow. idea and, and a lot of other things happened too, but it turned into an idea and I was able to meet with an editor and that's awesome. Yeah. That's the long version. Yeah. No, and I mean, there's obviously there's so many parts to something being born within and actually materializing. Like that's the the beauty and the mystery of creating. It's really a miracle, you know, for something to be born within and to come out and you're all of a sudden you're holding it or the book's done or whatever. But those parts of, you know, one of the things I will say in different places is a lot of clergy or pastors, they know how to read the Bible, but they don't know how to read their own hearts. Mm, You know, they they know how to read the sacred text. They don't know how to read the sacred text of the spirit unfolding in and through and as them and paying attention to that. And the beautiful thing I think about being a Christian, paying attention to God and listening to that open-ended call of the future of the spirit inviting you forward is, it's like, I'm not a person who's like predestined. I don't even really have those conversations about predestination. This I don't really care, but I'm like, but you know, 
things align and people come along in the right moments. You know, I had this thought, I tell my husband, then this guy reaches out to me. That's just some of the amazing parts of this unfolding journey is you start to say yes. And as you step on the path, like the path is created as you walk on it. We would like the path to be fully created before we walk. But the courageous path of following the spirit is I take two steps, the next two appear, an editor reaches out, our friend don't even know. And that those are like, it's just yeah. amazing, those parts of the story. Yeah. And let me add, because this is like in this, I received this mantra. I heard it somewhere and I don't remember where, but it was um, put your ass where your heart is. So like, it wasn't just enough for me to like receive all of these little cues. I actually had to consistently like put my ass Absolutely. in the chair and write and like, I couldn't just hope that it would all just fall into my lap. Um, and so it was, it, there were these little nudges that made me go, Ooh, what if I listen to those? What um, happens if I actually mm -hmm. listen to them? And then, you know, complete the assignments that I'm, mm -hmm. that I'm hearing. Um, yeah. Yeah, that, and that's why I have like a bit of a natural resistance to the word manifesting because of how it's used in the way that you you made a distinction there. Because when people are like, I'm manifesting as if I can just, I don't know, focus on yeah. it, think about it enough, and it magically happens. To me, it's a very disempowered, I'm waiting yes. for things to happen as opposed to, no, something is happening within you and you do desire it and you can name it to other people and then you have to work your ass off to do it. Absolutely. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Then, then I'm like, if that's what manifesting is, great. Because it's about imagination and working hard and showing up and allowing the things to unfold. Amazing. But it's not a disempowered, just think about it. I'm like, that's not how this works. That's not who God made us to be with the vocation and agency we have. Right. I, I couldn't agree more. And I talk about manifesting in my book. I actually define it according to my terms, which definitely include this, um, this need to like disrupt your own usual responses and rhythms. Mm. Um, you have to like take charge and, and create the reality that you want to see. And so mm. I, I definitely, um, so, some of that involves mystical moments that you mm. can't explain, but mm. it's not all like, if you wait for the inspiration, you're going to be just waiting. <laughs> Nothing's yeah. going to be happening. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, that's great. You know, when people are raised in the church and for some people who eventually maybe go to like a Bible college, Christian college, or they get shaped theologically in environments, in our context, and this is changing, thankfully, there's a conventional imagination and shaping of us when you grow up in these environments, right? When you get shaped, it's an imagination that oftentimes is held together by whiteness and patriarchy and the marginalizing of women's voices, et cetera. It's a maintaining of the status quo, you know, in large part. Yeah. And then there's another way forward. One of challenging the status quo and one with a focus on liberation at all levels of life, you know, one where the voices that have been marginalized are centered and listened to and actually leading the way forward, you know, but not everybody, not everybody's introduced to that tradition, to that legacy that's mm -hmm. still unfolding, you know, what were for you some of the defining people, spaces, experiences that led you beyond the conventional, this is what it means to be a Christian in our context and into what I see as a more Christ-like journey of liberation, socially, politically, the empowerment of your own voice. Like how, how was 
Is it people? I read this book. It's the school. It's, you know, how are, how was your call beyond the convention into what I see as a much more beautiful Christ-like journey for us leading? Yeah, that's such a good question. Wow. So thoughtful. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, I do feel lucky to have a dad who I feel like has that kind of open and generous um, posture toward divine, Um, toward the divine and toward um, faith practice. Um, So I I think that in some ways, my dad grounded me in that I wasn't actually raised in evangelical settings. I was um, raised in the Catholic church. And Mm. of course it's not all perfect there, but there is space for like a mysticism there and for, um, you know, more like uncertainty and things that you don't get in evangelicalism, but I grew up in the South. So I got sucked in and indoctrinated with, you know, and kind of left all that behind. So for me getting out of that, there are people on the journey, there are books on the journey, but yeah, getting out of that, um, kind of looked like a coming back to something Mm. that I experienced in childhood, which was just a more free wonder filled imaginative faith. So yeah, definitely my, my dad and the way he shaped me, the way he shaped me Mm. to be open and generous in, in the same ways he is in in the sense that I'm not going to like close off something. I'm not going to like reject ideas because they scare me. I'm going to like think about it and consider it. Um, and yeah, there are people in my life like Jan, she was kind of like a surrogate mother to me. And I talk about her in my book, but she was just so open and like, I think she was really progressive, but I didn't have that language Mm. when I was younger. Um, but she died when I was, um, probably 21. So I, I feel sad that I didn't get to like, Mm. you know, come into this place of beauty that I think she was actually at and get to like share that with Mm. her and hear from her in a really like woman to woman way, as opposed Mm. to like mother daughter way. Mm. Um, But she definitely just was always seeing the beauty in, in people. Her life was like a prayer her. She just, Mm. she just marked a beautiful path and, and so I think witnessing people like that in my life, who I think the, the word I keep getting is just an openness. And mm-hmm. I think when you're open to, um, to things, you, you evolve, you're not going to just get stuck in these rigid, um, boxes of inversions of God. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I could, I mean, I could go on and on cause your question's so thoughtful. <laughs> no, that's great. Even when specifically like, doing the work of pastoring let's say you know your dad's the amazing thing and the scary thing about parenting is like the atmosphere you're creating intentionally and and also unintentionally when you're tired and you stepped on a toy and your kids are asking for multiple things (laughs) like it's it's doing something beyond what you can just explain of shaping your kids you know that's the gift and that's the that's the humbling and scary part of parenting you know, you want to teach them so they have to not unlearn or, you know, unlearn as little as possible and et cetera. But, you know, the the openness of a dad somehow affects the atmosphere of your own and the, the internal environment of your own learning experience. You know, meeting a woman like a surrogate mother changes how you see and feel, even in ways you, you retroactively later, you're like, that that was a little bit of me understanding how that happened. It's so powerful. Yeah, yeah. What about say the last 10 years? Because you went to seminary. 
I started did. to go to seminary. <laughs> you're pastoring. You've been leading for about, you said, 10 years. Yes. Yes. Yeah. For about 10 years. Yes. About around <laughs> 10 years. Um, what were some of the the voices, whether they're pastoral or preaching or writers, where they're saying things where you're like, that is a part of where I want to go. These people are talking about a form of following Jesus that makes sense to me in a deep level and excites me and empowers me to want to embracing the role of a a pastor, such a unique journey. What were some of those people, you know, you're reading this, you're like, this gives me energy and it gives me a further imagination, but this is the kind of church, the kind of faith that I want to keep building in this world. Mm, another great question. Um, <laughs> I, I finished seminary in 2011, and I also got a degree in a, a master's in social work, and I completed that after seminary. So that all definitely, I, mean, I think that the social work aspect really shaped my theology and my practice as a <clears throat> as a pastor, and um, gave me a particular lens for wanting to be in a community where mental health is important and valued, where we're trauma informed. Um, and we have, you know, and, and we, we see the intersections of all of those things in the congregation and have, you know, a mindfulness toward them. Um, but I also have a friend, her name's Kendall Rothis. She wrote the book, Thy Queendom Come. Mm. And she's also the creator of a conference called Nevertheless, She Preached, which I'm Mm. on their board. But um, she was really influential in my life because I saw her creating her own path. She's just such a creative. I think we're all creative, by the way. We are all creative, but some of us just um, held on to, to that like access point and through like throughout our adolescence and adulthood and never really lost it. And then some of us have to go back and like reclaim our creativity. Mm. So she's someone who's just so vibrant and creative. And um, she just kind of was always forging her own path. And she was a pastor. She's like two years older than me, but I just saw her doing things like leading community and preaching and writing sermons and writing books and, um, and doing it in her own way, just so deeply creative and I think that she's someone who really um, helped me to move toward creativity, move toward like back to my childlike faith. Um, ritual is really important to me. And um, all of these, I mean, ritual is just such a creative practice to have in your life. And and so, yeah, all of these little elements that honestly, I think children access really well, um, just in those kinds of things are the things that I wanted to see in a community and that I would want to exist within in any sacred space. Um, because yeah, I just think that we have access. We have so much more access to the, you know, the spiritual resources that we need, like peace and hope and, and joy and all these things when we are um, being creative and being um, in a posture of, like I said, imagination, wonder, all these things that people associate with children. I just, what if adults like moved into those postures, you know, like we would just be so much better at problem solving. Mm -hmm. Um, So I want to see those things in the sacred community. And I think these are the kinds of themes that have come up for me over the last 10 years. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. We are invited to develop our own divine intuition and we are empowered to trust our inner voice 
we don't need anyone else's permission to navigate our life and faith except our own. You know, that's a such a there's so much there. That's such a powerful thing that I'm sure holds together a lot of your work and you know how you relate to people and what you want for people. Why is th- why is that so important? Like you're a pastor, your so like background social work, your life is so oriented around people. And you know, when you care about people, you look at them and you're like, I I want this like waking up, this I want this for you. You know, so you really have that for people. And when it comes to the divine intuition, the trusting of the inner voice, why is that when you look at so many people you've known and people you haven't met yet, like why is that so important? What does that do for them and for their life? You know, why is that such a centering, like a key for you? Mm-hmm. Um, I think that the sad, a sad truth that I come to terms with as I get older is just looking around me and realizing that people are just so unhappy mm-hmm. and even the people like close to me who I thought were happy aren't. And as you get older, they just start dropping like flies in terms of realizing how unhappy people are. Mm-hmm. And I just feel like people, well, there are a lot of answers. I won't say answers. There are a lot of responses to this, mm-hmm. to this problem. But for me and where I sit, I, I think that a lot of that unhappiness comes from an ungroundedness, from just an, a, a sense of being untethered in this very chaotic world. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, we have a lot that we've experienced collectively. We've experienced this pandemic that's ongoing. We've experienced a lot of um, social turmoil in the form of, you know, blatant racism and, um, you know, the effects of the, of patriarchal harms on our society. And there's just so much collectively. And then that doesn't even include all of our personal struggles and our family who are, are suffering and our friends who are going through things. So we just, we're so, we're, we are people who are suffering. And on top of that, we're not very grounded in anything. Um, and then, so we're very unhappy. That's just what I see. That's what I see. And so I feel like we could be happy though. Um, we, I like, I'm someone who just, I feel like I can access joy pretty easily and I want everyone else to be able to access it, you know? And I think that you can be happy. Damn it. You can be happy. (laughs) I'm like, no, don't trust me. (laughs) But like, like, listen to, you have to do your own work. You have to do it. No one else can do it for you. You can go to a church that you really love or you can have really, um, great friendships, but if you're not doing your own inner work or your own spiritual work, like you're not going to be able to stand amidst all of this turmoil. But if you are, if you are developing your own intuition, if you're, if you're fleshing out what it means for you to embody Imago Dei, Mm -hmm. you can be grounded even when things, even when shit is in, you can be grounded. You can, you know, differentiate between the suffering around you and what's actually going on within you. Um, So I just, that I call it divine intuition because I think we all have it. We all have spirit living within us. But so many people are just looking outside of themselves and they're looking for just like the right answer or some checklist or, or some prescription to follow because most of us have been trained to, to, to follow prescriptions without questioning them. 
Um, and, and so I'm trying to dismantle that idea and say, what's going on in here? What's your intuition telling you? That doesn't have to be different from spirit speaking into your life. And um, I know what it feels like to feel grounded. And I know that I'm going to experience suffering. I'm not saying I'm like above that. I just, I, I, I feel excited about the idea of what if people could access um, this groundedness and this, I think joy and hope and all these things live like spiritual resources live here. I could go on and on. (laughs) That's how you know. That's how you know that she preaches right there. You heard the last two minutes right there. It's just a glimpse, you know, that she gets going. No, no, that's amazing. That's that's why I have to use a manuscript. <laughs> <laughs> that like it is a tr- a real, and my wife and I have talked about this a bunch over the past ten years. And of course, it's not it's not has nothing to do with a judgment on people's value, but there is a tragic reality of of how easy it is for people to feel disempowered, to not trust their own voice, and to just feel like life is happening to them. Yeah, as opposed to knowing that there is you know with the unique way spirit and our spirit gets enveloped into this interconnected you know spirits calling me forward the yes within me and and god is blends together and learning the art of discerning and paying attention and trusting that and really like when you go back to the childlike wonder creativity you were like you can just do that mm-hmm. you know what i'm saying like that That's simple like do. You, like you they can, and we teach them that. to yeah, we teach them to unlearn that. We teach, mm. we are taught to unlearn following our intuition because it 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 just disrupts. <clears throat> you know, it disrupts. I I hate to know that I'm doing that as a parent, but I'm I'm doing it all the time because I just need her to fall in line. I need her to, you know, I need. So yeah, it's it's like wow, we can we already have it. We just need mm. to go back. And what do you what do you think you know the book is structured with two major movements of stepping out of and stepping into and before I bring up some of those specific things that are like kind of glimpses into some of the chapters like they're almost like previews for them just off off the top like from your personal interpersonal pastoral experience what do you see as some of the main barriers that initially some of the main barriers and resistance within people to trusting their inner voice and feel, and really knowing for themselves, like nobody can do your courage for you, knowing for themselves and feeling the permission to, to, to feel empowered enough to just do what they sense, desire, or want. You know, what are some of those major forms of resistance that for people immediately keep them behind that? Yeah. Mm, I have so many answers to this. Um, <laughs> I'm going to try to keep it, stay focused. Um, well, people like generally speaking, there's a lot of shame that comes up. I mean, that's kind of low hanging fruit, right? That people are going to go into their inner work and they're going to start feeling shame and, and start feeling like afraid. And it's just like, okay, the church needs therapy. It's just like going to therapy. You, it gets harder before it gets easier. Mm -hmm. You have to open the can of worms and you have to, you have to deal with it. And that's very, very intimidating. It will um, cause upheaval in your, in your own inner landscape. It will cause upheaval in your relationships and it's very risky. So I understand why that there would be resistance initially. Um, And then the other part of that is that this is a collective work. This isn't like all, this isn't like for the sake of our own selves. This is for the sake of our collective healing and liberation that we do this kind of work. And so that means that we also have to come to terms with, you know, 
we have to be able to self-examine critically. We have to think about how we're complicit in systems that are harming other people. We have to become practiced in seeing the Imago Dei in others, not just in ourselves. And I think maybe all of, for all of us, one of those is harder than the other. <laughs> Some of us are, it's easier to Definitely. see the Imago Dei in the other, harder for ourselves or vice versa. But yeah, it's a big, it's a big work, but I just think we're empowered to do it. Mm. Yeah, that's good. And I think that's uh, even when the Enneagram got more and more popular the past, you know, five years or so, but that's a part of the wisdom of it is the barriers, the blocks, the blocks for one person that are the strongest are different from the other because we've been shaped by different family systems. We have different genetic previous, we have different cultural environments, all these different things that go into shaping us and our, the way we see and relate to the world. It's, it's a part of the, it's, a, it's helpful to know that because one person's major barriers like a five minute, my, I joke around my wife and I, my wife's a two and she's like genuinely like the most powerful, ambitious, won't take no for an answer since I've known her. We met when we were 16, you know, like she's, she's like that, you know, she will make things happen in ways I've never seen. Like it's really crazy. Yeah. Yeah. And as an Enneagram five, as I got older, it's like, I'm like naturally calculated, right? I'm at a distance. I, my ego default patterns want a sense of mastery before I step in and take the incarnational risk of actually doing it. And we joke around where it's like my lifelong message and help to my wife is saying, it's okay to slow down. Yeah. Cause she, she knows how to keep going and her lifelong journey message to me is, and you also need to go out there and get shit done, basically. Because yes. oh <laughs> we have a different, our, <laughs> we have a different like pattern, a different system yeah. that allows things to happen or gets in the way of other things happening. So yeah. super helpful when you when you think about that. It at, together, wow, you can do great mm. things together. <laughs> um. So the two, so the two major movements, half of it stepping out of. And you name autopilot, shame, hierarchy, politeness, culture, scarcity. And then there's the stepping into part, right? Mm-hmm. Here's the other things. So I just want to give almost like previews, like little glimpses of, you know, why those things, how they, how they show up in our lives. And even though it's the last part of the first section, stepping out of scarcity. Mm-hmm. How do you see scarcity showing up for people? How does that affect our creative life, relational life and all those things? Like why that's an important one to step out of. How does that feel for our lives? You know, and and why is it such a need to move beyond it? Yeah. I mean, you've heard people talk about that, use that word a lot by now. Um, But I remember when it really first came up for me several years ago where I realized I was living Um, I I was noticing some areas in my life where I was operating out of scarcity, but not to be hard on myself. It was as a result of trauma, childhood traumas. And I could, but once I could see the patterns, I was like, oh, like the awareness empowered me to move beyond them. And, Mm -hmm. and so I think that we have a lot of ways that we, we live in scarcity, whether it is through um, jealousy or whether it's um, through the way we vote, you know, the way that we look at the world and and who gets what. Mm-hmm. My thing is that we're just not living in creative creativity when we're living in scarcity, because we kind of we kind of limit what we think is possible from there. 
we think there's not enough to go around, whether that's power or whether that's um, <laughs> platform or whatever. We just think there's not enough. Those, and, are, those, are, like, those um, are like triggering words when you're in the publishing industry. That's just for the insiders, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. And um, it's, it's like, we, it's so like not, it's the opposite of being creative. So that's, I don't want to be there if it's, it's going to keep me, you know, we can be creative people. We can problem solve. We can, we can live as if there's enough for all of us. And even if that's radical, even if there's not, it changes, it changes the outcomes when we adjust how we're living. Um, You know what I mean? I I feel like I'm speaking like up here. I don't know if I'm making any sense. No, no, no. Yeah, no, I, I, I hear what you're saying. This, this, you know, the truth like of, uh, you know, learning something and embodying it, seeing the journey and doing the journey, you know, conceptually understanding and directly realizing for yourself, those are different journeys. You know, self-awareness is not the same as transformation. It's the beginning point, but it's not transformation. And scarcity is one of those things where it has to be something that gets deep into your bones through your own experience of the abundant spirit that keeps creating and co-creating in our world. And there's a journey towards that. Cause to me, one of the most, when you get this for yourself, mm-hmm. it changes so much where you're like the addition of somebody else is not a subtraction from me. Yeah. They, yes. Cause that's what the ego wants to do is that person added this. And because it's probably in my field and they're kind of like me and I want to hate on them mm-hmm. or whatever, right away. Mm-hmm. It's like they added that, but that plus seven, if you think about it, like that, it's added. It doesn't take away from me. That's what they add. And I add this yeah. and it's, it's a journey to get there. And it's a, such a different experience creating and giving and loving when you can do it out of that place. Cause it's just so easy to fall into that, you know? Yes. And I think you're move when you're talking about that, you're moving toward authenticity mm-hmm. and people, I mean, people are drawn to authenticity. Like you, there can be, you know, all these people in the room doing the same things and you can feel intimidated, but if you are, you know, refusing to live in scarcity and just, you know, confidently doing your own thing. And I, I, I like to see like work, you know, even if it's online, even if it's a post, on your social media. I like to look at it as an offering, like just mm-hmm. it be pure in that offering. And, you know, like there's nothing better than authenticity to me. Cause I think that we're moving closer to, you know, really living from our Mago day if we're mm-hmm. being authentic. So moving out of scar- scarcity just automatically moves us toward our own authenticity. Mm-hmm. Um, and there, we're just not threatened there. There's nothing to prove there because mm-hmm. we can just, accept who we are and work toward the things we need to work toward without so much comparison or jealousy or, or, or nerves or whatever, you know? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Politeness. Why is politeness something that we're supposed to be polite? Everyone needs to be polite, right? Why is in the journey towards wholeness and authenticity and owning our inner voice, how is politeness something we need to step out of? And how does that show up in our lives in a way we're like, this is the way politeness shows up that actually we need to transcend and move beyond. Yeah. I just, my thing is like, if it's not authentic, then throw it out. So if you're just being polite, just because, but yet you're not actually like 
treating human beings <laughs> with like dignity and respect, then it means nothing. Um, and I think for, you know, looking at the intersections, the way I speak about it in the book is, is, you know, for a lot of people of color, there's this constant need to code switch. Mm. Um, and the rules of politeness have been just so often set by whiteness and particularly um, a white Christian sensibility. So like peacemaking is like, don't rock the boat. And, you know, there's this, the definitions are not set by the people on the margins are set by the dominate um, culture. And I'm just questioning that I'm going, okay, what does it really mean to like live um, into peacemaking? What does it really mean to practice kindness? Could kindness be our neighbor's liberation um, as opposed to just, you know what I mean? Like the surface level stuff. I just want to go deeper. I'm not against being polite. I'm just against being polite when it's being used as like a placeholder in the book, I say when it's being used as a placeholder for actual work in the world Mm -hmm. Um, and growing up in the South Southern hospitality um, to a fault Mm -hmm. (laughs) is what I would see a lot. And often getting told that I'm too much or getting reprimanded for speaking in a way that wasn't fitting with those norms of politeness. And then always Mm -hmm. feeling like I needed to like, like just bring it down a notch. But then when I'm around people of color, it's never like that. It's like, we can speak to each other in a different way, but then we have to go into these environments and like fall in line again. (laughs) Um, But the whole, all those things about stepping out of this and this and this, it's, I just picked some things. I mean, it's not linear. We all have different things, you know? So that, that, those were what came up for me in this experiment (laughs) of my book. Mm. but um there's more there's there's yeah so many more yeah I even think besides the the broader like cultural and political that's the helpful thing about pastoring is you're always just grounded with with everyday folks you know it's some people yes. write at such a zoomed out level which I appreciate you know and it's good and I'm more naturally like that like a systems thinker and it's big and it's, we're going to, you know, dismantle everything at once, you know, in the system, et cetera. It's like, that is the work we're doing. That is the broader movement towards justice. But this person in my church is trying to get a job right now. Exactly. You know what I'm saying? So exactly. there's, <clears throat> oh my God. So, yes. so there's always, you know, the personal is political, of course, but there's also the day-to-day realities for people yes. where it's like, that person isn't thinking about dismantling patriarchy right yes. now. They're just trying to do this. And then once we you know, have enough space in our life and there's a flow, then you have more to, when it's, when you're surviving, you, you know, you're surviving, you know, and yeah. the pastoral experience helps you always stay connected to, in the midst of, yes, there's large systemic things. Let's name it, address it. Let's do that work. And also this person just went through a break. Have you ever been through one? Yeah. They're really hard, you know, and yeah. it's the reality. Um, both ends, both yes, ends. exactly. Yeah. And I think a part of the, I think it's really easy for churches, especially like highly productive, you know, that are driven with that kind of like, we have big production and we need 50 volunteers mm-hmm. to make it done. Politeness can, people who are really polite and easygoing, I think about like Enneagram 9-ish folks, they, they can so easily be like taken advantage of and milk for all their worth because yeah. they're not going to complain because they're polite yeah. When pastorally, when you recognize that, you, you, it's it's to me really amazing to say to a person who's that person, you're just the kind one everyone likes and they're going to do mm-hmm. it. It's like, 
there's more to your voice than just being agreeable. Even though yeah. it's great as a leader, you're like, you're really helpful. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. I don't have to put out fires or whatever, but to say your voice is so much more than just going along with this. And what's funny is sometimes them embracing that might disrupt my quote unquote thing, but that's what they need. And if this isn't about me, I can let them do that. Even if the journey takes them away from how much they give to our thing, that's for them. Cause that's what we're here for. So absolutely. This is an important one you know, on many levels, interpersonal up to the the systemic. Yes. And I've experienced that because we have a lot of nines in our church. Mm. (laughs) And like, Mm. yeah, I've experienced, you know, the nine moving into their power and Mm, it's beautiful, but it's like, yeah, like it's the easy, it would be easier for all of us to just like, let them continue being Mm. like polite or getting, or, you know, overdoing it. But you're, you know, I'm, I'm here to help you move into your power, but can you still just like, you know, pick up the coffee before we do this thing? Because <laughs> <laughs> no one else is going to do it. <laughs> yeah. So the stepping out of, I want to talk about one more because there's things that are very uh, visible and very demonstrative we can name, but then something like autopilot, you know, yeah. how does autopilot show up in our lives and get in the way of the divine intuition, the empowerment, trusting our inner voice. Like, what does that mean for you? You know, when it's auto being on autopilot, something to step out of. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. My dad gave me, he used to, he would give me cards a lot. I mean, he, he still does, but, and he would write poems in there. And he once gave me a card that had this, a part of a poem from Walt Whitman from the preface to the leaves of grass. <clears throat> it's kind of a popular quote, but it said, it's a really beautiful quote, but the part I remember is rethink everything you ever thought you knew was true. Rethink everything you were taught in school or church. That was definitely open. He was definitely open. (laughs) And it was this poem and like, it was like, yeah, rethink everything you ever, and and specifically were taught in school or church or in any book. And it just like got imprinted into me that that was the way of wisdom Um, and so that's what I mean by autopilot is like, okay, are we driving, like, are we driving on our journey or are we on autopilot and like, and using these old ways of thinking to supply our current form of living and being and moving in community? What, what is, what is this? What are, what are our belief systems? Like, we have to look at this and see what's informing, you know? our movement in the world, especially for people who have evolved so much that we don't necessarily embrace like old paradigms of faith. Mm. But so often we're still like operating under some of the harmful Mm. um, ways of being and we just don't realize it. So like stepping out of autopilot is saying, no, I'm going to, I'm going to drive. I'm not going to just like accept these old ways of operating and let them continue to shape, shape my movement mm, mm, yeah yeah that's that's definitely when you talk about your dad being open in the beginning you know rethink everything ever you're like he's very open <laughs> but it's amazing yes. to not it's not taking anything just for granted and recognizing the radical contingency of every law every rule everything that was said like that happened in a particular place in time for specific reasons out of a context and that doesn't mean it was written into the universe itself it means people did that at that moment and therefore, in a changing context, we have the power to 
uphold it if it's helpful, move beyond it if it's not. You know, that's a, that is a very empowering thing when you see like that. Yes. And it doesn't have to be so heavy. That's why, mm. that's why I keep going back to kids. Cause like, mm. I'm not even that much of a kid person, but I'm just saying like, they have, have so much that we could still use. We can, um, playfulness, like don't be so heavy about it. Just be playful mm. about it. Be test things out. Be like, Oh, okay. No, <clears throat> that didn't work. I don't believe that anymore. Like, it's okay to just be wrong <laughs> and like mm. change, make changes. And um, we can actually be a a little bit more lighthearted about that process than we think. And and the whole second part of the book, we're coming to an end. So I want to let the listeners know the stepping into those chapters, abundance, permission, your child self, goodness, the divine feminine mystery, embodiment, and power. Those are the glimpses of what the second part of the, we're stepping out of things. And then we're stepping into these. And therefore with the interest Based on what I just said, that is another reason to go buy the book, A Brown Girl's Epiphany, Reclaim Your Intuition and Step Into Your Power, available now, Amazon, other places, wherever you buy books, I'm sure. And I'm going to ask one more question. It's a, more, it's, a, it's a personal one, a pastoral one. There's so many reasons to be done with Christianity for so many people right now. There just is. And everyone who listens knows what I mean by that. You have your own versions of that. What are the moments for you, pastorally? This will be the last question. Make sure we get you out of here you know, on time. What are the moments for you, pastorally, where you're like, this makes sense. Like, this is good. Like, I had this conversation with this person. You're like, this is, this is why I do what I do. This is why this makes sense. This is why I'm still on this journey. You know, or just like, it could be a personal moment, a pastoral, like what is for you? You're like, this is, this is it. You know, these are the moments that really matter to me. Yeah. Thank you for asking. I was just thinking about this today. I was talking with one of our other pastors and, you know, as people who don't feel bound to be in church, we, we choose to be a part of church. Mm -hmm. It's, it's, it's interesting to engage this question. Um, and we were engaging it earlier and, and I was saying, um, you know, we, so many of us don't want to be in church because we were really hurt. We experienced the harms of indoctrination and we experienced, you know, a lot of trauma and those things are valid. And some people need to get as far away as possible from church because of it. Um, But I think about how easy it is to forget about some of the beautiful things that I received in sacred spaces as a child and specifically just the the formation of my own faith the mm-hmm. the guidance to form my own connection with the divine mm-hmm. um happened in sacred spaces mm-hmm. and that is so beautiful and if i really take time to reflect on it it really it really overwhelms me and it makes me want the same for my for my daughter and for kids because mm-hmm. i really believe that there is a divine space in our hearts and our, in our bodies and our minds that tethers us to hope and tethers us to um, a groundedness that can help us survive these times. And it really makes me sad to think like, what if my daughter didn't have community and space, like faith spaces to have the, the, the same opportunity to develop that divine connection, which of course you don't need in a building. You don't need in a church ultimately, but it can be so helpful. Um, And I think it can be very helpful for, for kids. So I don't know 
if that answered your question, but that was the answer that I had. <laughs> no, that's great. Yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah. When you when you can say at an ultimate level, of course, you can be present and connect anywhere, but also recognizing this is the power of rituals. This is the power of community. It's the power of yeah. the body of Christ being the, the hand you hold next to you. It's not just, I tell people, it's not just the spirit of God in them or through them. It's the spirit of God as them in the moment as you're holding hands and praying or whatever you're doing. So yeah. I appreciate that. The book, A Brown Girl's Epiphany, I'm going to say it again. Go check that out. Follow along with Aurelia on Instagram. It's is Aurelia Joy. What was the Instagram? Rev Aurelia Joy. Rev Aurelia Joy on Instagram, where she does most of her engagement things online. So good. I'm so glad we got a chance to do this. Thank you so much.